Once upon a time, 34 years ago to be exact, a teenage couple had a baby. And though abortion was not as prevalent and as common as it is today, it was certainly an option that was available. It was on the table. But um, after talking with their parents and listening, they decided to put the baby up for adoption rather than to give it up to abortion. Meanwhile, there was a married couple in their 30s that had not been able to have children. And despite that, they still prayed and hoped for the opportunity to be able to be parents, that God would give them that privilege. The friend of theirs was the nurse that was involved in the delivery of the teenage couple's baby. And she called them and said, Hey, I want to let you know there's, there's a brand new baby that just was born. It's a baby boy. And I know you guys have been wanting a child desperately. And I want to let you know, before anybody else is given this opportunity, I want you to know that you could adopt this baby. We, we would make it swift. We'd make it fast. There would be nothing to it. We'll give you the first chance. But we need to know within 24 hours. This couple had already made a decision that if there was ever anything that would be life-altering, any major decision that would really affect the rest of their lives, and they didn't have a lot of time to discuss and to pray and to seek counsel, then their automatic answer would be no. That's what they had decided as a couple. So, in keeping with their decision, they told their friend, hey, we really appreciate it. Uh, we'd love to, to be able to say yes, but with that amount of time that we would have, we just don't feel that we'd be able to give it the prayer and the consideration that, that we would need to with such a, a major life-altering decision. So thank you, but, but we're going to have to pass. So she said, I, I understand. I understand. I just, I just wanted to, to check with you. Well, as the hours went on after that phone call, the wife especially just did not have peace about that decision. It just kept gnawing at her. And she felt that God was leading her and her husband to reconsider. So she, she said to her husband, I just don't have a peace with what we said. I, I just can't get the thought of this child out of my mind. I feel like God's already put them in my heart. And he said, well, what do you want to do? She said, I, I want to call them back. I want to tell them we, we want that baby. So they called, and they said, hey, listen, I know we said that we weren't going to take you up on this offer, that we weren't going to adopt this child, but we feel that was the wrong decision. Is that child still available? And their friend said, yes, absolutely. You, you really want to do this? And they said, yes, we know we want to do this. You're ready. No, we're not ready, but we want to do this. So, the paperwork was started, the process was begun, and three days after the birth of this baby, the doctor that delivered the baby delivered me to my parents' doorstep. And that's how I became a Chesley. That's how I became part of Ed and Donna's family. I was adopted. 
I was privileged to be chosen and loved and pursued and brought into a family. A family that I think is just about the best family anyone could ever have. Um, Adoption is an amazing gift. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing concept that God has originated, and he did originate it. It really starts with him. But before I get into that, I just want to ask, who here, who here is adopted, has been adopted? Raise your hand up high. Let me see him. Okay, we've got several. Great. It's awesome. Awesome. Isn't it great? Isn't it just a privilege? Let me ask you this. This is, this is a question for everybody. Who here would say, without a doubt, you have absolute confidence in knowing you are in Christ, that he is your Savior and your Lord, you've committed your life to him, and you are in Christ, you know it. 100%. Let me see your hand. All over the place. Wow. Praise God. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, guess what? You're all adopted. If you raised your hand that you're in Christ Jesus, then my original question of who is adopted, everybody's hands could be up that did that. Because that's what's, that's what's so amazing, church, about our salvation. We were not just saved from hell. We weren't just saved from hell through Christ. No, we were actually adopted into God's family. Isn't that awesome? It's incredible. Look, look what the verse says, 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. That word lavish, that means to go to extreme. It means radical. It means extravagance. So God the Father, Almighty God, has just gone to extremes in His love for us. He's lavished love on us. And here's how He did that. Here's why it's lavish with what He did. That we should be called children of God. That we, that we, knowing who we are, Knowing how, how limited we are, knowing how sinful we are, knowing how selfish we are, knowing how undeserved of anything from God whatsoever we are, and yet He has made us His children. That's true of you if you are in Christ Jesus this morning. The church, that's something to get excited about. Come on. I mean, we get excited about games on TV. We get excited about concerts and musicians. I think we can be really a lot more excited than we are right now about knowing that in Christ we have been made children of the Most High God. Can we get excited about that? Like, can we give God a round of applause or something? Can we get just joyous about that? Amen. Thank you. Yes. That's the fitting response, church, when we realize what this means. That's what God has done. For you and me today if, we're, if you're in Christ. God has an adoption plan. God has an adoption plan. I want to tell you about that plan. I want us to, to discover that together, to be reminded of it together this morning. God's adoption plan is found in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Here's what that says. But when the right time came, and, and as a side note, by the way, God's timing is always the best time. Always. God's timing is always the right time. His timing is always the perfect time. 
No matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter what situation we're in, no matter what surrounds us, no matter what's going on in and around our lives, God's timing is always the right time. It's always the best time. And we would do well to remember that. We'd be a lot better off in our, in our life if we remember that his timing is, is right. But when the right time came, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him, this is why he was sent, this is the big picture of why Jesus was sent. God sent him to buy freedom. To buy freedom. John, 11, John 1, 11 and 12 says, He, Jesus, came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. You see, there was a legal transaction that took place when Jesus came. He actually bought our freedom. That's why salvation is free to us. It's not because it was free, period. It's because it was paid for. Not by us, by Jesus, and then given to us for free. So what did he came to come to buy us? Uh, how, why did he have to, to buy us? Why did he have to purchase freedom? It's because of what it says in the last part of this verse. He sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, which is another way of saying slaves to sin. Slaves to the law of sin. Slaves to the weight and the dominance and the control of sin in and over our lives. We were helpless. We weren't just great, great people. We weren't just pursuing God with all our hearts. We just couldn't find him. That wasn't what was happening. No, before Christ came, mankind was locked into slavery by a very cruel taskmaster, sin. We were slaves to sin. So Jesus came to buy us out of slavery and to give us freedom. Why did he do that? Here's the purpose of that. Here's the the overall purpose, the big picture of of that being done. So that he came to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he, the Father, could adopt us as his very own children. It's awesome. It's amazing. And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son, which is another name for the Holy Spirit, into our hearts... And that enables us, church, to be able to be seen and valued as children of God. It's because the Holy Spirit is the seal of that. He's the guarantee of that. He's the one that makes that possible. It's the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, that allows us to be sons and daughters of God. It's all tied to the Holy Spirit being sent to our hearts through faith and trust in Christ. So God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting or or urging or or leading us to call out, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word that translates really to to some of our tender English words for a child and their, their father like daddy or papa. Some term of close endearment. That's what is meant here. And that's the Holy Spirit saying, go ahead, go ahead, call him that. Think about that. God of the universe, almighty, eternal 
God inviting you and me, you and me, to say, Daddy, don't ever let your heart grow cold to what you have because of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, if that weren't enough, if that weren't enough, as good as that is, it gets better. You ready? You ready to hear even more? Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Isn't that just the craziest thing ever? That we would, that we would be not just God's child, not just freed from, from sin. I mean, he could have done that. He could have freed us from, from slavery to sin and then just kind of let us go and whatever we wanted to do is fine. No, he then adopts us as his children and, and he doesn't stop there. He raises us up to be co-heirs with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Wow is right. Wow is right. Heirs of what? Well, in a word, eternity. <laughs> heirs of glory. Heirs of constant, perfect fellowship and love and intimacy with God the Father. All that was meant to be from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That's, been, that's going to be restored one day. And, and we're going to be partakers of that for all of eternity. That's what we've been made heirs of. The kingdom of God. Keys to the kingdom. Keys to eternity. All through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And, and you know, this, this concept, I mean, as great as it sounds to us, we don't quite grasp the full weight of what's being said here because of our, of our cultural separation, our time separation. But the original readers of this, the Galatian church and those in the first century, would have immediately understood the, the connection Paul was making and what he was talking about here. Because the connection was the Roman practice of adoption. That's really what Paul is talking about here. In ancient Rome, the, the wealthy, the aristocratic class, and the nobility class, if they did not have an heir of their own, a child or a family member that they could pass on their name and their, their possessions and their title to, if they had a slave or multiple slaves that were loyal to them and, and they trusted and they loved, there was a, a close relationship there, many times... They would purchase the freedom for that slave. They would give them their freedom. But then, once they were free, they would turn around and adopt them into their family. And this, these are adults that we're talking about. We're not talking about little babies or little kids. These are full-grown males. And they would adopt them in to their family, giving them the full title of their title, the full weight of their family name, and all the privileges and all the possessions that went with it. And Paul is saying that's exactly what's being done to you who are in Christ. To you who have committed your life to Christ, trusting in, in him alone as your Savior. That's what was true for these people that he was writing to. And church, that's what's true for you and me today. We have been pursued by the Son of God. We've been rescued and ransomed from the slavery of sin and Satan. And if that weren't enough, then we were adopted, and then we were given the signet ring of the family name. That's what is true of you today, if you're in Christ. It's what he's done for you. 
That's how much you're loved. That's how much you're valued. How good is God? How good is God? We were not adopted by God because we were so good and lovable. I encourage you to write that in if you have a handout because I really want us to grasp the, the enormity, the magnificence of this adoption that we have and we need to understand what's involved in it, what is, what is true of it. We were not adopted by God because we were so good and lovable. No, that's not, that's not the case at all. We were adopted by God because His grace is greater than all our sin. We were adopted by God because he loves the unlovely. He loves the unlovely. That's good news, isn't it? Because on our best day, we're pretty unlovely before God. On our best day, the word of God says all of our righteous acts, all of our good deeds before God are like filthy rags, which literally means used, nasty bandages. That's how our righteousness stacks up before God. That's why there's no hope for us in and of ourselves to make us right with God. That's why in and of ourselves, there's no hope for us to be adopted into God's family. Christ had to do it, and he did it. Romans 5.8 says this. Love Romans 5.8. It just clears up any, any misconception about our merit. But God showed his great love for us By sending Christ to die for us, which was the adoption fee. There's always a fee with adoption. My dad tells me from time to time, whenever he does something that helps me out, and I say, oh, thanks, I really appreciate it. He says, hey, no problem, I'm just going to put it on your tab. It started a long time ago, and it's pretty high. There's adoption fees, there always are. And the adoption fee for us, church, was an just unimaginable cost. It was the life of the Son of God. That was the fee. He sent Christ to die for us. Don't miss this. this. Catch this. While we were still sinners, he entered into our worst. And that's when he saved us. He didn't wait for us to somehow get better or to be worthy. That could never happen. He knew that. So he entered right into the midst of our darkness, right into the midst of our death, right into the midst of our sin, which was rebellion against him. In fact, the the next verses in Romans 5 say, we were enemies of God. And yet, he gave all, literally all, to make us Not just saved, not just freed, but to make us his own child. So what then should our response be to this? Knowing this, what what is our response to be? Well, here's our response toward God. First, that we should thank and praise him. That we should thank and praise him. That we should have a heart of overwhelming gratitude and a mouth full of constant praise and announcing how good and great he is. 1 Chronicles 16.8 says this. 1 Chronicles 16.8 Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. 
Let the whole world know what he has done. That means we thank him with our hearts, we thank him with our life, and then we open our mouth and we shout how good he is. And we shout to everyone, hey, listen to what God has done for me. He took me a sinner. He took me an enemy of God. He freed me from sin. He adopted me into his own family. And he gave me the keys to his own kingdom. God adopted me. I'm adopted by the Most High, and you can be too. That's our response, first of all. Secondly, our response toward God should be that we copy him. We copy him. Now, that may sound strange, but Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 connects to that thought. Here's what it says. Imitate God. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Imitate God, therefore, in everything. Thing you do, and we all know what, what it's like for a, a, a child to imitate their father, right, or their, their mom or their parent. It says here in the, in the, in the first verse, Ephesians 5 1, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Why? Because you are his dear children. So, so think of your own kids, parents. Think of when they were younger. Sadly, I know it only lasts for so long. But think when they were younger, everything you did, they wanted to do, right? They emulated your every movement. Everything you did, they tried to do. Everything you said, they tried to say. Happens at a very early age. doesn't matter if you're an adopted child or a biological child. You, you start copying your parents. You start acting like them. You start being like them. I mean, I heard all the time growing up, Oh, you're just a little Ed Chesley. Heard that all the time. Oh, you're just like your dad. Some people even said, it was really funny, when they said, You look just like your dad. And we were like, well. Don't know how that could happen, but okay. No, I mean, I heard all the time, you just, you're just so much like your dad. And still to this day, I hear from time to time, you're just exactly like your dad. When, when we see you, when we hear you, it's just like seeing or listening to Ed Chesley. It's a very high compliment, by the way. Very high compliment. But, you know, we, it's a natural thing. It's a natural thing for kids to be like their parents. That, that happens. It happens without very much effort. So what Paul is saying is, as dear children of God, as as the children of God, you need to be imitating him. You need to be like him. You need to be following his character and, and having his character in your life. You need to be having his mind and his heart as your mind and as your heart. Because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Remember, that's the cost of our freedom. That's the cost of our adoption. A pleasing aroma to God. So what Paul is saying is, church, Christians, because you have now been made children of God, you need to act like your father. You need to be like him in everything. And you need to follow the example of his son, who has made you sons and daughters of his father. Follow his example. Apply that to your life. Imitate that. Emulate that. So that is also our fitting response toward God in light of all he's done for us. And then also, not only are we to thank and praise him, not only should we be copying him, we are to live for him. We should live for him and determine and choose to live for him, not for ourselves, in light of all he has done in response to this grace and mercy and love and adoption that we've received. Romans 12.1 says this, 
And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I urge you, to give or to present, to offer your bodies to God, which means your whole self, your whole person, everything you are, that's what it means by your bodies, your whole person, to God. Why? Because of all he has done for you. You know, like freeing you from sin, adopting you in his own family, making you an heir, things like that, (laughs) to name a few. Mercy, love, grace, adoption, because of all he's done for you. Let them, let your bodies, let your lives, let your whole person, your whole self, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The key with the, the being a living sacrifice mean it, it means it's no, there's no end to it. It just is continual. It's a perpetual offering. It's a perpetual sacrifice. You don't just offer yourself once and then you're, you're gone, you're done, your sacrifice is over. No, it's a constant living sacrifice of all you are to God in response to all he has done for you. A living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You want to worship God? You want to thank God? You want to praise God? The way to do it, really, is to just continually say, I'm going to live for you, God, not for myself. I'm going to live for you, not anyone else. You're my aim, you're my goal, and here is my life. You gave me life, here is mine. That's the way to worship him. And that's our response toward God to thank and praise him, to copy him, to live for him. But this adoption that we've received and realizing all that that means, it doesn't just stop with our response toward God. That's the first thing, but it doesn't stop there. When we realize all that we have through Christ, all that we've received, the fact that we are adopted and all that that means, that should also prompt a response toward Orphans should also prompt a response toward other orphans, toward orphans. As one's adopted by God, that should be in our heart, that should be in our mind, that we want to physically and literally be the hands and the feet to others, that we want to, we want to turn what God has given us and, and turn it out into a, a physical expression to other people who are in need of the same. You know, next Sunday, next week is Orphan Sunday nationally. And we have a special day planned to, to honor that, to, to embrace that. We have some people that are going to come in and, and special speakers, and they're going to be talking about ways we can all get involved with adoption, with, with the orphans here and abroad, ways we can be the hands and feet of Christ. But I just want to share with you just one major way that we, we can respond toward orphans through those who are in need of family, as we have been made family by, by God himself. Here's our response toward orphans. That we would be an instrument, that we would be an instrument of mercy, love, grace, and provision for children in need of such things, at home and abroad. That we would be an instrument of mercy, love, grace, and provision for children who need those things at home and abroad. 1 Peter 2.10 says this, Once you had no identity as a people. Remember, we were slaves of sin. And slavery to sin does not give you an identity. 
Slavery to sin does not make you a people. You have no identity. You have no purpose. You have no hope. You have no joy. You have no life in sin. It's only death for everyone. So once you had no identity as a people before Christ, now, praise God, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy because sin does not show mercy. The enemy does not show mercy. Now, now you have received God's mercy. So what this means, church, is as recipients of an identity, as people who have been made people and children of God, as people who have received the full measure of God's mercy and grace and love, we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to extend the same opportunity to others as God enables us to and as he makes provision for. We need to be looking for ways we can do that. We need to be open and and ready to be used of God in that way. Psalm 82.3 says this. Listen to this. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold. It means protect, preserve, defend the rights of the oppressed and destitute. Think think of what James 2 is all about. The faith that you have must translate into works. The faith that you possess must result in action or it's dead and useless. That's the concept here. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. And you know what? Maybe you're not in a position right now, right this moment, to actually adopt a child or or actually foster right this minute. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. That's not what I'm saying. That We should all just... You know, get out of, our, out of our seats and run and, and just adopt all the kids we can. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Maybe you can't do that right now. That's all right. That's okay. What we can all do, though, is we can help and contribute and support those ministries and organizations and those agencies and those families and individuals like we have in our own church, several of those, who are adopting, who are fostering, We can get behind them and and help them in whatever way. We can give them supplies for the new babies that come into their homes. We We can contribute financially in some way. We can babysit some way. We can be there to encourage and pray for them all the time that they are doing this. We can give money overseas to to underprivileged children, kind of like what we're doing with Operation Christmas Child, but all year long, all year round, we can adopt families and communities across. The sea. There'll be more of that next week as we have the representatives come in and talk to us on Orphan Sunday about ways we can get involved and, and what adoption overseas looks like in the terms of monies and support and gifts. There's all kinds of different things we can do if we can't physically adopt. But, but, hear me on this. We should all be open and available to when God does make it possible for us to actually adopt or foster. All in response toward what we have been given. And you know what? There is a great promise as we do this. There's, a, there's just a magnificent promise of the Lord Jesus himself as we 
enter into this, if we will embrace our role, if we will respond toward orphans, if we will give to them, if we will show mercy and love and help to them. Here's the promise of Jesus Christ himself. It's, it's just amazing. It's Matthew eighteen five, And he says this, Whoever, whoever welcomes, you know, reaches out to, embraces, loves, whoever welcomes one Child, like this, in my name, welcomes me. Isn't that beautiful? And I, I, think, I think most of us, if not all of us, would, would say, man, we, we want to be able to say we welcomed Jesus. We want to be able to say we loved Jesus with all of our hearts. We, I think we'd want to be able to, to hear from Jesus, thank you. Thank you for welcoming me. Thank you for loving me. And as is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, we, we probably will say, when, when, Lord, when did we welcome you? When did we actually give you an expression of love? When did we help you? When did we provide for you? I, I don't recall that. And just like we see in Matthew, his response to the people who asked him that, what we will hear is, When you welcomed the least of these, you welcomed me. When you loved the fatherless and the orphan, you loved me. When you provided a home for the baby that would have been aborted or would have been abandoned and left, you provided for me. I received that. And we'll fall down on our faces and we'll just give him more praise. And we'll join the orphan that maybe, just maybe, we not only gave a home to or a meal to, but maybe, just maybe, we gave them the ability to be adopted by the Father along with us. Whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Church, let's be a part of that. Let's let's embrace this. Let's enter into this way of thinking and this way of operating because we have been given so much. We have been adopted as well into the family of God. So let's be open to be used of him to bring others into that adoption. Amen? Let's pray together. I would be doing you a great disservice if I did not extend to you an offer right here, right now, for you to also join in to the family of God by way of adoption. And I already said, and that we already saw through the scripture, that that only happens in and through committing yourself completely to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The only way we are adopted into God's family, because it's not anything about us, it's not anything we can do, it's only by surrendering our entire person our entire life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And when we do that, the moment we commit our heart, our mind, our life to him, we are ushered into God's family and the adoption paper is already signed. But maybe, just maybe, you're here today, this morning, and you've never done that. You've never received the offer of adoption that stands for you, that's over your life right now because Jesus already paid for it. Maybe you've not embraced it yet. If that's you, I just want you to know you can do that right now. There's no need to wait. Right here in your seat, where you are, 
you can accept the gracious offer of the Almighty God to adopt you as his own through Christ. You just have to tell Jesus Christ that you admit that you are in need of him, that you know you need him as your Savior. You know he died on the cross for you, for your sin, for your rebellion. He took that on himself. You know and believe that he offers you eternal life, and you receive it. That's all there is. Believe that in your heart, the Bible says, and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. I just wonder, is there anyone who would say, you just described me, that's me, I haven't received the offer of adoption through Christ, but I want to today. I want to know that I am part of the family of God forever. Pray for me. Is there anyone that would say, that's me? Anyone at all? Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Anyone else? Anyone else say, pray for me, I need this, I want this? Anyone else? I'm available to talk with you at the end. I'm available to pray with you if you need to. Please let me know. Father, you are a good, good Father. There is no one like you. And truly, it is a marvelous thing if we consider the love that you have lavished on us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Thank you for loving us beyond comprehension. And thank you for going to the lengths you did to make us your own. All the way to sending your son to sacrificing your son instead of us, to allowing all of your wrath and judgment on our sin to fall on him. Thank you. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.